0: on, so we are never away from God. We may not sense his presence. Even Christians, many times, the scripture says we walk by faith and not by sight. Our life often, and most of the time, is not by something we see, by something we feel. It's a spiritual thing that we enter into, and we can live this way because God's spirit dwells in us. He does bear witness to certain things, but he does not bear witness because people become unbelieving. He does not prove himself to people every day because they have doubt and fear. That's because of the sin. He confirms when he sees fit that we need confirmation. And so we may go a long period of time and not sense with our feelings, or emotions, anything, yet we serve the Lord anyway. And Paul tells us, and he was quoting a heathen prophet, he said, we are never far from God's presence. Remember, he said, we live and we move and we have our being in God, yet we live by faith, really. And we're not physically aware. Too many people that are in these religious groups, they want excitement. And it's no different than voodooism. They want to tingle. They want to shake. They want to fall. They're looking for something physical. And every type of manifestation that they think is God, the devil imitates. Like uh, Haiti. Someone said Haiti is 80% Catholic and 20% Protestant and a percent voodoo. Well, that tells the story. They're not real true Christians, are they? But see, they gyrate, and they squirm, and they go into seances, and trance. Well, these are imitations. Oh, I've known people, unless they tingle and fingle, they don't think they're in God. And then when they get the tingling and the fingling, and I'm not saying it's always not real, but it's no proof. I've seen people and counseled them that are living in sin, and they get into the tingling and the fingling, and they think God excuses what they're doing. See, they're deceived. We don't put feelings and emotions beyond the spirit realm, see? And only God can reveal spiritual things. So some people live from week to week, they want to tingle. Oh, I feel God's presence. Well, let me tell you, most false religions have the same thing. Mormonism has the burning bosom. Their bosom burns, and that confirms to them they only have the true faith. Buddhists, Confucius, all of these religions have some kind of fanatic, what we call fanaticism. Emotions are simply human. You can jump up and down at a baseball game. You can jump up and down because you win the lottery. Or you can jump up and down at church when you feel God's presence in your spirit. But that itself is no proof. See, and that's why a lot of people can be deceived. I've heard people, well, I just don't go to a church unless I can feel something. Well, you're deceived. You don't know about spiritual things. You're still tied to the world. You don't understand these things. You're not spiritual. You're carnal. See, that's what he's talking about. And these people never progress. If they become baby Christians, they don't last too long. Because the first time they don't get a tingling and a shaking, a vibration, uh, they think the Lord's left them, and they need the witness of the Spirit, and he doesn't give it, because he does not want them living by feelings all the time. These are exceptions, and again, they prove nothing. They are a human response to a spiritual thing, but a lot of people think the emotion and the feeling is God. No, it's your human reaction. And while we're at it, let me repeat. When people speak in tongues, it's to be controlled publicly. And people say, well, I can't help it. Well, it's not God if you can't help it. And the scripture makes it very plain. Those who speak in tongues, it says they speak. didn't say God speaks. They use their mouth and speak. And it says, and the Spirit gives utterance. See, you see the combination. But a person doesn't have to speak in tongues. And Paul said he's to be quiet, not speak out loud in the church, unless he's going to interpret. So they could be worshiping and praising, and a person could quietly be speaking in tongues. And that was okay. But he was not to take over the whole church and get up and jabber in his what he thinks is tongues unless he's going to interpret what's being said. So the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. Even prophets can control what they say. They may be given a word from the Lord, but they're not forced to give it at that moment. They can weigh timing. They can give it later if God leads them. The prophets of the Old Testament got words and dreams and visions too. And sometimes it took them days to deliver the message. So they are not overwhelmed by the spirit. So a lot of people can be disappointed when their religion is just based on how they feel. They'll have a roller coaster life and they'll never be stable with the Lord. Okay? Verse thirteen. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, he says these basic three things to all the churches. I know your works, you have to overcome, and listen to what the Spirit says. And as we said, what was the Spirit saying? He was giving the message from the Father, which was given to the Son, and he gave it to an angel, and he gave it to John, and the overall delivery and message was given by the Holy Spirit. You find the, the whole Godhead involved in this message. So when you read the message to the seven churches, especially when Jesus is speaking directly, that's the Father speaking. That's the Son speaking. And that's the Holy Spirit speaking. So he says, if you have the physical capability to hear, if you're not deaf, then you better take serious and listen to what he's telling you. Okay? That's what he's saying. Okay, so if you have that ability, the message is from the Father, and the message is from the Son, and the message is from the Spirit. Okay, so what did he say here? What are you to hear? Because he is coming, uh, hold on to what you have attained in relationship and duty to Christ. It gets back to don't let no one rob you of your crown. Hold on to this. Hebrews 3.6 But Christ, as a son, is over his own house. He's the head of the church. Whose house we are, those who claim to be Christians, if, people don't like that little word there, if we hold firm with assurance, the rejoicing until the end. So what is he saying? We are of his house if we stay with him, if we continue with him. If we first came to the Lord, did stay with the Lord. So people who think they can't lose anything, well, the scripture says in the dark times, the last days, there'll be a falling away from the church. And he is not talking about some stupid denomination. That's man-made. Denominations don't mean nothing. It's a God and the people. That's what's important. But he says there'll be a falling away. So he means the true church. Those who were true Christians, it says that they will give heed to seducing spirits and false messages. So telling you a true Christian can fall away, okay? And he wants us to know this. He told them in verse 225, hold firm, overcome and keeping my works. That's what he wants them to do. See, that's why people don't like the book of Revelation. If they're lying, teaching ultra-Calvinism and license to sin and once saved, always saved, and faith alone, these are doctrines of the devil. And they're going to find out when it's too late. I have no pity on these people. Jesus said, leave them alone. I stop warning these people. When you try to warn them, they're sitting there waiting to give you another scripture. They're not even listening to the sound doctrine you're giving them because they've been brainwashed into a heresy. Or at the most, they might say, well, if you're a real Christian, you won't disobey the Lord. Oh, yeah. Well, how come you're the same person in doctrine that says you have to sin every day of word, thought, or deed? Let's get together and have it one way or the other. You can't have it both ways. Okay? So he's saying, let no one take your crown, your standing with Christ, your sonship, your place in Christ. And like you say, how do we allow them to do that? And to take the crown is to take your Christianity. And like we said, it's putting loved ones and other things before the Lord as a priority. Remember, we have to remember People today don't think much about it because we live in a democracy. Paul understood the Roman world and he likened our relationship with duty and obedience as being a slave. That's what we're called bondservants even in Revelation. He doesn't emphasize the sonship. See, there's both. And even the prodigal son, he left the authority of the father and that's when he was dead to the father. See? The father loved him, and cared for him, but he did not override his choices. And when he came back and repented and tried to make things right, and then the father went and met him. And he said, my son, which was dead, is alive again. So even his father said, he was dead to me. See, people don't like that because they're bound by human relationships that do not pass into the next world. See, it's idolatry. See, that's why Jesus said, if you love anybody and serve anybody before me. You cannot be a Christian. Well, that narrows it down. to A lot of people think they're Christians, don't they? Because they're not serving the Lord. And uh, so he said he cannot be his disciples. Not he might. And the word disciple is the same as the word believer and Christian and saved person. Many claim that family or loved ones, family or him, that's okay. Well, the scripture calls it idolatry. It means you worship another god. Anything that you put as your lifestyle and your practicing before the Lord's will, then it becomes an idol. Well, even Paul said, a covetous person, well, oh boy, we got to talk about the prosperity of faith people. Their whole emphasis is on money and wealth, and prospering in this world, it's materialism, and the scripture says it's covetousness, and Paul makes it clear. He says a covetous person is an idolatra. and then he adds a little thing. He says, and you know that no idolatra shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that takes out several million of them right there, doesn't it? So they're bound to the world. They think it's a free trip for the king's kid, and they think the angels run around to make them money and keep them healthy and wealthy. They want to live heaven on earth. It's not going to happen. And one of the chief ones is worth a billion dollars and is so deceived that the lake of fire is waiting for him. And he's going to be down there with Adolf Hitler and Stalin and I Main and Mao and many others. So if you're a false teacher and you deceive many people, you're going to get the greater damnation. As Jesus said, the hypocrite gets the greater damnation. Well, a lot of deceived people are not hypocrites. They believe what they teach. It's just they're deceived. They're blind. But the message is they both fall into the ditch. See? And we know what the ditch represents ultimately. It's the lake of fire. Verse 14, now we get to the last church, what we call the Laodicea Church. Some say that Laodicea, actually, the root word means the laity rule. Sounds like a democracy, doesn't it? But anyway, whatever its name came from, it was not a special name that was given. It was a literal city. Several of these cities existed for three, four, five hundred years before Christ came, so they were established cities in the Roman Empire. So he's saying, I have a message now, he speaks to the seventh church. As we've said, there were many home churches and home cities. These were not large gatherings. There was many home groups in each city. Like I say, even the world historians believe there were only about 50,000 people living in these cities throughout the Roman Empire that were real Christians. And yet, after reading the message of Jesus, we find out that half of these people aren't saved anymore. Half of these people, he wanted them to repent. Only a couple of churches does he not tell them to repent. Uh, there's a couple of churches he finds nothing good to say to. But there's individuals. Like Sardis has a name. Jesus said, you have a name, you're alive. You're busy, you're active in religion. With the Lord. You're so busy all the time. He says you have a good name that way, but you're dead. What is he saying? You're not Christians. You claim to be Christians, but you're not Christians anymore. But then he later says, There are a few in Sardis who have not defiled their garments. So even Jesus saying, Oh, there's a few left. And he's warning all of the churches, there was probably a few. Even in the worst churches, it's so few number he doesn't mention too much, but he says they've not defiled their garments. Well, most of the Laosians were naked and blind, we're going to see, and they lost their righteousness. And Jesus, forget this, a lot of people want to forget this, he was on the outside knocking to get in. He was not a part of them. The main ones he's talking about is, we to find out he considered them lost. And he's removed most of the lampstand, yet for the few, he's given them one more invitation. He's given them time. But remember, he's the one that holds the lampstand. It's the spirit among the churches. Finally, the spirit will not recognize some of these areas as being a Christian church. Every one of these churches are in Turkey, and they're Muslim cities now. There's no basic... Christian foundation after the many years. So we see he picks out seven churches as Paul epistles go to seven churches. See, they weren't the only ones. They're an overall picture of what the Lord wanted to do. The Jerusalem church, the Roman church, the church at Antioch was bigger than most of them, but he doesn't mention them. See, so he has his reasons for picking out These churches, because he's looking at the overall picture through history, through the generations. He's given things that can apply to all Christian generations. Okay, verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write this. The amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God has this to say. That's interesting. That's a a mouthful of what he says. Now to the seventh and last church, it says the amen speaks. What does that mean? The so be it. He has the final word. He has the final word on everything. All authority and power was given to him. He speaks for the Father. The Father speaks with him. He is a part of the Godhead. While he was on the earth, he was the faithful and true witness. And what he says now is truth. He is the truth. See, he doesn't have to be faithful as a human because he overcame. He will always be faithful. Like angels that didn't fall will always be holy. They will be the elect angels. They weren't elected to be righteous. They elected to stay with God. That's what it means. And so he's saying what? He was a faithful as the son of man, proven his loyalty. the Father. Okay. The Gospel of John, chapter 8, 8 and 29. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father taught me, I speak these things. He's the perfect witness. And he who sent me is with me, the Father has not left me, for I always do those things that please him. People say, Well, he did things because he was he was son of God. He was God. A lot of ignorant Catholics say that. No, he didn't. He did things as a man. He obeyed as a man. He was tempted as a man. He could have sinned as a man. They insult God by saying this about his son, as if it's a, a mockery that we're so stupid we can't see the mockery. They're ignorant people. Jesus spoke and only did what the Father revealed to him while he was on the earth. He, a perfect witness of the Father. He reveals what he was like and what he does. Remember, near the end, Philip said, it'll be enough. We'll be satisfied if you show us the Father. And Jesus, sort of puzzled, looks at him and says, how long have I been with you and you don't know me? He was saying that every word and that the Spirit of the Father indwelt him, that he wasn't doing all of this on his own initiative. He had condescended. He talked to them and lived with them as a human. He could not do this as God. This is why Jehovah had to conceal his face from Moses. And Moses was the meekest man on earth but he was not familiar with him. He became familiar with his disciples. See, they were looking at something else, and he would say, what you need to know is the Father's in me. And how long have I been with you and you don't know me? See, they should have picked up on these things. But when the Holy Spirit came after Pentecost, they understood this. And then Thomas could say, when he missed the first meeting The apostles were gathered in a room, and Thomas was not there. And later on, when they told him how the Lord appeared, he said, well, I'll never believe unless I see the gauze in his hand and feel the gauze in his side. Well, see, and he got reproved by the Lord. See, he got reproved because he wanted physical evidence without the spirit or the prophecies that were given. And he was testing him. And he said, okay, I'm here now. He came out of nowhere, and yet he told John, I'm not a spirit here. He said, I'm flesh. He was the son of God. He resurrected as a man. He retains his humanity forever. But interesting, when he did what the Lord said, as we assume he did, he said an interesting thing. He said, my Lord and my God. He got the revelation that Jesus was eternity. He was one with the Godhead, and he had hid these things from them. They didn't comprehend fully who he was. They thought he was a prophet. They thought he was the Messiah. They didn't fully understand that he was God, and God kept it from him, and Jesus hid certain things so not to interfere with his ministry. And that's what he meant when he said, but when the Spirit comes, he will show you and guide you into all truth. And that's why we see later the apostles, they pray. Sometimes they pray to the Father. Sometimes they pray to the Son. It's interchangeable. They're understanding that Jesus is the Word of God. Once he's been glorified, he's back. He was the one that created the earth and everything there is. He was there in the creation. So he's the amen. Everything he begins with, and he ends with, he has power over, is what they are talking about. The first and the last in all things. He said this before. So here, while he was there, he said, the Father is always with me. He's not with me because I'm just the Son of God come down to heaven. See, a lot of people use that as an excuse. He's with him because he said, I always do what he tells me. See? And that's the sign of lordship. So if a person doesn't obey the Lord and practices not obeying him, he is not a Christian. And the same thing applied to Jesus. Jesus did not say it, and he always obeyed the Father. Therefore, the Father always heard him and answered according to his wisdom what he wanted to do. So many people claim to be Christians. And they say, Well, I'm a carnal Christian, or I'm just saved, but the Lord's not on the throne. It's because you're not saved. That's why He's not on the throne. See, these are lying concepts to give people false assurances so they can live in the world and think they have a ticket to heaven later. You can see why God is allowing them to be deceived. They get what they deserve, they will stand speechless, there will be no argument. At the day of judgment, because the devil won't deceive them then, and their own wicked heart will not deceive them. Their conscience will be very in tune, and there won't be no response. They'll know they're guilty and they deserve the judgment that they're getting. Okay. So he always pleased the father, and he felt the need. He trusted and obeyed him as a man. See, we need to understand this. He had to overcome as a man. But there was a temptation that he was subject to. It was not the drawing of the old man because he didn't have it, but it was similar to Adam and Eve's temptation. It was similar to the angels' temptation. They could still yield to it without the old nature. And one third of the angels did it. Okay. Look at John chapter 3, verse 21. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But he who does the truth, works the truth, comes to the light, the truth, that his works may be clearly seen that they have been done in Christ. So Jesus is saying the majority of mankind don't even want the light. It means they're capable of it. They're not predestined. They can respond to their conscience, to the law. That's God's grace. He doesn't fix someone, but the majority are not going to, as the majority are not going to be saved. But it's not God's will, it's their choice. So he says, as a whole, mankind doesn't want the truth. And when he offers it to them, they run from it, or they resist it. As I've said before, the sinner that doesn't want the gospel or the truth, he's like a roach. And if you ever been to a place, I have, and you turn the light on at night and hundreds of roaches start scattering. And within a half a minute, you don't see a roach anywhere. See, the light expels them. But if you're outside and turn a light on, you wait in the summer, hundreds of moths come. And so the Christian's to be like the moth. He's drawn to the light. The sinner is like a roach. He wants to get away from them, But it's his choice. It's not his predestination, his choice. God never appeals to people's will if they don't have a will, if they can't make choices. Okay? It would be a mockery of God to do this. That's why the ultra teachings of election, predestination, and errors of grace is the doctrines of the devil. God has predestined the plan of salvation. Whether you get saved or not is your business you either get on the ship that's headed to heaven or you get off or you stay off that's up to you and the lord but you make the final decision see it's not pre-planned god didn't he is either a liar or he means what he says in the old he says it's not my will that anyone perish but all come to the knowledge of truth now was he lying to us and at the end of the book of Revelation, he says, whosoever will shall come. You don't see no predestination here. You don't see people plan to go to hell before they're ever born. This is a demonic teaching, and the very people who teach it are going to end up in the lake of fire for misrepresenting God, okay? for making God out to be a devil. And there's a difference between God's foreknowledge and predestination. God may see all, but many things he does not interfere with. He allows people to make decisions, and somehow he sees those decisions. The responsibility is put on them. It is not put on God. Keep a clear conscience. How does a person have the presence of the Lord? Again, I'm saying it's not always physical. Most of it is not. But there are times a Christian can have the presence of God and a manifestation of God. We live by faith. We walk by faith. It's an inner witness. It's often a peace. It's sometimes not a feeling. See, God gets people away from feelings. That's of the animal kingdom often. He expects more from Christians. But we stay close to God And we are keeping a clear conscience, then we have faith and prayer and relationship. It's promised. John says, We know that God hears us. Why? He just previously said, Because we do those things that please Him. So if you don't do things that please God and you don't keep His commandments, you can know He's not hearing your prayers. And if He's hearing your prayers, it's the work for your evil. See, He gives people. Remember the children of Israel? He gave them manna, and then they wanted meat. Meat. They kept crying. So he sent them meat." And it says, "The strongest among them died." It's one translation: "A waste of disease." Well, he gave them what they wanted, but they didn't want it in the end. So people can pester God for something that He is not in. And see, that's the purpose of prayer: is get the mind of God, get the will of God. We're to persevere in prayer, but we're not to persevere in stubbornness and willfulness and deception. That'll get you into deep water, okay? So this is promised. He answers us. We get his presence. For what reason? See, people think, oh, well, I just have faith. No, it's not the reason. We do or keep his commands, and we do or work those things that please him. That was how Jesus stayed in fellowship and relationship with the Father. That's why he was a true witness who was faithful. All of his prayers were, amen, and so be it, okay? Knowing the Father heard him and would do his requests, because his requests were never selfish. His request was the will of God. His requests fell within that realm, okay? Now, often the timing and the answering of the prayer, that's a different story, okay? So the Father heard him and do what he asked. And he said, the Father always hears me because I obey him. People should take a lesson from this. Many people are wasting their prayer because they're living in sin. They're practicing sin. They're living carnal, rebellious, backslidden lives. God does not hear them. Oh, they think, oh, they get some money. Oh, the Lord heard me. They think that God just lets the circumstance of life run its course. And let me see a little secret. The scripture says that God is good even to the evil and unthankful. So he lets them prosper. He doesn't make them prosper because the wicked can prosper. They can inherit money, they can win a lottery. God just doesn't interfere with it. And they can do what they want and they can answer to God in the long run. So a lot of prayers are not God's answering. The wicked think it is. I had people, a person tell me one time on a bus, he was an alcoholic, and we were talking about the Lord with the bus driver, and all of a sudden he blurted in, oh yeah, I believe in God answers prayer, because I needed the alcohol so badly that I prayed, and I got the alcohol. Well, see, the devil gave it to him. God wasn't interested in his addiction, if he was not serving the Lord, but see, that was his concept, it came. what I wanted it came. So many of the wicked can prosper in this world, and many wicked pray. I used to see them, but they pray for blessings, and things happen. Well, things happen to people who don't pray, and to very wicked people are very rich too, so it don't prove anything. okay? The church of Laodicea was rich financially, and yet God said, you're naked and you're poor. One of the churches was poor and poverty-stricken in deep poverty, he said, which means they didn't know where the next meal come from. And he said, but you're rich. He had nothing bad to say about them. Well, what did the prosperity people do with them? He commended them. Paul said, God has chosen the poor in this world who are rich in faith. So he didn't bank on telling people you have to have money to be a Christian. He didn't say that. That's a lying word, and that's why these people are deceived by their money. Now, even the church of Ephesus was wonderful in works and perseverance. Every church should be spoken. But remember, they lost their personal intimacy with him. They began to go about doing things but they didn't spend time with God like they did in the beginning. But they even bore persecution. They persevered, and he commends them for that. But he said, you forgot me in all of this. So it shows you the Lord wants duty and obedience, but he wants intimacy. He doesn't separate them. Most churches, he has a problem with their works and their obedience. And that's what he warns them about but not this church. Isn't it interesting? Church of Ephesus. I believe that's where John came from when he was thrown into prison. He was the apostle or leader. At one time, Barnabas and Timothy were leading this area of Ephesus, so it was very known to the apostles. So God is sometimes good to the evil and the unthankful. He's good to the evil because he lets them live the next day. He lets people live. He lets backsliders live for years. And Paul said, and they're foolish. He said, don't you know you're stubborn and willful heart against him? That God's holding off judging you, giving you an opportunity to repent. See, so that's the goodness of God. He has the right to judge any person that sins immediately. If any person does a gross sin, he can strike them dead if he wants to. It's within his prerogative. But usually he do not He lets them wait and he says to him, if you don't repent, you'll answer and be judged more. Why? Because he extended more grace to him. So the longer a person lives and resists the Lord, the greater sins he accumulates and therefore his punishment shall be much greater. So we will continue in this verse 14 when we start the next lesson. Lord, give us wisdom and understanding and practical application. In Jesus' name, amen.